Let's open God's Word this morning to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. We'll begin reading at the end of chapter 11, verse 32. We will read through chapter 12, verse 3. And the text for this morning's sermon will be Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews 11, beginning at verse 32. What shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they may, might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. We end our Scripture reading at that point. The text for this morning's sermon is verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin with which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Child of God, how are you going to continue on and persevere in the race in which you are running? How are you going to remain steadfast when the going gets difficult? How will you make it to the end? That's the question that every one of us must face this morning. And that's the question for you, Sam. How are you going to persevere in the race? 
And now obviously, this morning, we are not talking about a physical race in which we have to cover some distance of land by, our, by using our legs. Because if that was the question, then this morning's message would be a long lecture about the importance of conditioning and physical training, eating a healthy diet, getting our rest. But we're not interested this morning in a physical race. We're interested in a spiritual race. The race that is the Christian life. How are we going to persevere in that race? And the answer that this passage provides for us is by looking to Christ. That's the only possibility for us to run this race. And that's the instruction that we need to receive this morning as those who by God's grace have come to believe in Jesus Christ, who profess faith in the Gospel. And we need this message because for all of God's people who have made profession of faith, who have faith in Jesus Christ, there's a temptation to want to give up. We grow weary. We become tired. And now not physically, but spiritually, we become exhausted. There are difficulties in running this race. And the temptation for us is to want to throw in the towel. And therefore, it is a legitimate question to ask, how are we going to persevere? By faith in Jesus Christ. We're directed to Him, our Savior, who is the author and finisher of our faith. And that's the instruction that we want to consider this morning by looking at Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, using as our theme, running the race by faith in Jesus Christ. First, we will look at that race that is set before us. Second, we will consider the Savior to whom we look. And then third and finally, the encouragements along the way. Running the race by faith in Jesus Christ. The race that is set before us. The Savior to whom we look. And the encouragements along the way. The clear instruction of this passage is that as Christians, we have a race that is set before us. The end of verse 1, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And when the writer of this book speaks of a race, he's referring to some Olympic competition, some event in the Olympic Games. And for him to speak of running this competition means he clearly has in view some race so that the figure, the illustration that we are to have in our minds this morning is that of running some distance. Not a short distance, not a sprint, but a marathon or even an ultra-marathon. And for us, that race is the whole of the Christian life. A life of faith and obedience. So that for us, running the race is abiding in our profession of the Gospel and living according to it. For the Christian, running the race means abiding in our profession, continuing in the faith, and living in harmony with that profession that we make so that our lives match that profession. And that was the calling that came first of all to the Hebrew Christians to which this letter, this epistle was originally addressed. 
We call this book the book of Hebrews because it was written to those who were Hebrews, those who were, who were Jewish according to their ethnicity and who would have grown up believing what we now call Judaism, but by God's grace were brought to faith in Jesus Christ. They came to understand that Jesus of Nazareth is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament Scriptures. Before them, there was a temptation to go back to Judaism. To throw off their profession of faith. Because understand, their profession of faith meant great difficulty for them. They were suffering persecution. Not yet physical violence. That's evident from verse 4 where the writer says to his audience, "Ye have not yet resisted unto blood. But that does not minimize the very real persecution they were facing, whether in social forms or some other form, there was difficulties. And therefore, the writer calls them to run the race. That is, abide in your profession of the Gospel and continue to live a life in harmony with that. And that's the word that comes to us. Who likewise, by God's grace, have come to believe in Jesus Christ. Who profess faith in Jesus Christ, even as you have done this morning, Sam, standing before us and saying, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that this is the Word of God. And I'm committed to living a new and godly life. God's Word to you and to all of us is run the race that is abide in that profession and live a life in harmony with it. But this Word of God does so much more than simply set before us the calling to run the race. It gives us specific instructions regarding how we are to run. And there are two main things for us to see this morning. First, as we run the race, we are to throw off any and all hindrances that would slow us down or cause us to stop. And that's evident from the middle of verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us. This is the, here we have the ABCs of running a race. Every runner knows if you want to continue on, if you want to make it to the end, you need to cast aside, lay off anything that would weigh you down. Anything that would serve as a burden. If it impedes you, get rid of it. If it's a hindrance to you as you go along the course, cast it aside. That's the instruction that we are given. And it's important because the race is hard enough by itself. We'll see that in a a moment when we consider the second specific aspect of running this race. But know that the race is not an easy race. And therefore, we need to throw off anything that would make it even more difficult than it already needs to be. But now, what are these weights? What are the burdens that are in view? Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Well, broadly, this may well include throwing aside things that are legitimate in themselves, but for whatever reason have come to hinder us, have come to slow us down. 
That can happen. There can be certain things that are legitimate in themselves. By that we mean they're not inherently sinful. But yet, they can become so big to us. They can become so important in our lives that they take our focus off of the race in front of us and really hinder us. They they slow us down. And if we find those things in our lives, we need to to lay them aside, to throw them off, to get rid of them. To use one example, in light of the illustration that we have in front of us in the text, maybe it's sports. Something legitimate in itself, not inherently sinful, but something that can become so big, so important that it so distracts us from running the race, from abiding in our profession, from living a life in harmony with the Gospel, that we need to recognize this is slowing me down in the spiritual race, the race that is of far more importance and therefore, I need to lay it aside. I need to give it up. Maybe it's some opportunity in the workplace. Maybe it's some responsibility that's come to us. Something not inherently sinful, but yet that so consumes all of our time, all of our energy, all of our abilities that we have nothing left in the tank to run the spiritual race in front of us. And therefore, that we need to throw that thing aside so that I, that I give up that opportunity. Or I say, I'm not... I don't have adequate time to fulfill this responsibility. I need to focus on the spiritual race. So we are to lay aside weights. And those weights may well include things legitimate in themselves, but they have come to hinder us. But the main weight in view is the burden of sin. So that we can understand the second line there as explaining the first one. Giving specific Concrete application so that when it says, let us lay aside every weight, and now here specifically is what's especially in view, the sin which doth so easily beset us. It besets us in the sense that it, it clings to us. It, it entangles us. It ensnares us. That's the character of sin. Therefore, there's the calling in this passage to, to throw it off. So that what we have here is the same calling that we find elsewhere as put off that old man of sin. Put sin to death. Which is to say negatively, do not indulge in it. Do not toy around with it. Do not coddle it. But throw it aside lest it trip you up as you seek to run the spiritual race set before you. So first of all, when it comes to running this race, the instruction for us is throw off any and all hindrances that would impede you as you run. And secondly, persevere as you run. Run with patience is the instruction here. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And now when the King James speaks of patience, it's not talking about our ability to 
wait patiently for something or to endure some sort of delay without becoming annoyed. That's how we usually speak of be patient. But patient here has the idea of perseverance, steadfastness, fortitude, and endurance. Especially when the race gets difficult. That's implied in this idea of running with patience, running with perseverance, so that the point that's being made is that we must hold up even when the burden is great. We must press on even when there's great strain that we encounter on account of the race. And this is such important instruction because it is indeed a difficult race. There are many hardships associated with running this race. There are trials along the way. And they, those may well include the trials that are common to all mankind. The, the injury, the, the sickness, the, the difficulty in a relationship, or whatever it may be, there are certain trials that are common to all men that when we encounter them and we are trying to run the race, we feel as though we're running with a limp. They make the race difficult. But while that's included, what's primarily in view are those difficulties that are unique to the child of God, to the Christian who professes faith in Jesus Christ. Persecution. Oppression. On account of one's faith in Jesus Christ. That's the historical context. The writer is addressing Hebrew Christians who are enduring such persecution. Thus he says, run with patience, with perseverance. And that's an important word because of the temptation when we encounter those difficulties as we run this race. The temptation is to give up. That is, to lay aside, to throw off our profession. We are called to lay aside, to throw off the sin, the burdens that weigh us down. But there's no throwing off the persecution or the other difficulties because the only way to make it stop is to throw off our profession of faith altogether. And understand, that was exactly what these Hebrew Christians were tempted to do. This whole letter contains many exhortations that all tie into this main point. Continue in the faith. Run the race before you and do so with patience, with perseverance. So that rather than giving up, whether it be altogether, I'm done being a Christian, or whether it be putting, pressing pause on the Christian life. Well, I'm just going to stop running for a little while. I'm going to indulge in sin a little bit. I'm going to enjoy life, and then maybe later I'll start running again. This passage says, do not think that way. Run with patience the race that is set before us. That's the calling. Lay aside every weight, cast off sin, and persevere as you run the race. And now in light of that calling, 
What child of God does not say in response, but who is sufficient for such a race? If you are telling me that this race is so difficult, so arduous, that I have to lay aside every weight, every hindrance, and it's still going to be difficult, it's still going to require tremendous fortitude and endurance, then that means I do not have the strength. Woe is me if I must run this race in my own strength. Because the reality is, I cannot even start the race in my own strength. And if I cannot even take the first step in this race of myself, how can I expect to persevere and make it all the way to the end and cross the finish line? The very calling of the race. The very calling to run the race exposes our own helplessness and therefore our own hopelessness. And thus it drives us to Christ. It drives us to His free grace and to the power of His Spirit. Before we can make take even the first step in running this race, we must see how unfit we are in and of ourselves to run this race so that instead we look to Christ to find our strength in Him. That's where we're, the passage is meant to lead us there. Verse 1 sets before us the calling, run the race. And upon hearing that calling, it drives us to our knees so that we cry out, who's going to help me? Where shall I look? And verse 2 is the answer. Looking unto Jesus. For He is the Savior to whom we must look if we are going to run this race. We look to the One who endured the cross for us and for our salvation. For you see, if we can take the language of the passage and apply it to Christ, there was a race set before Him. A course that He had to walk. A course that ended at the cross of Calvary. And understand, that was a difficult race. It was a race full of suffering. A course characterized by humiliation. And oh, the burden the weight that He had to carry. The weight of our sins placed upon Him that made every single step difficult, arduous. But it was not just the difficulty all along the race. The the difficulty culminated near the end of the race at the cross where He would endure a shameful death. That's the language of the passage. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. This speaks of shame because the cross was a shameful death. It was disgraceful to die the death of the cross because it was an accursed death. And for Jesus Christ, that was true. Not just symbolically. 
It was true very really because it was at the cross that He endured the curse of our God for our sin. He had to endure the agonies and the torments of hell itself. He had to be forsaken of God the Father. But now though this was a difficult race set before Him, laid out in front of Him, He ran it. He endured it to the end. That's the language in the text. Who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. Which means, leading up to the cross, He did not cast aside the burden. The devil wanted Him to. The devil was trying every which way to convince Jesus just drop the burden. Take a different path. Do not go down the path of suffering. Do not go down the path that leads to the cross. But our Savior remained steadfast. He would not cast off the burden of our sin that was laid upon Him. Instead, He carried it all the way to the cross. And even at the cross, He continued to run as it were. So that though His feet were nailed to that accursed tree, He was still doing the work of the Father. And He would continue to do that work till at last He could say, it is finished. I've run the whole race. I've done everything that the Father has required of me. That's the saving work of Jesus Christ for us. And the fruit of that saving work for Him is His own glorification and exaltation. That's how verse 2 ends and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And He's set down there as the due reward for His enduring the cross and the, the shameful death of it. The shameful aspect of that death. So He's been elevated, raised to God's right hand. He's now ruler over all. And it's from His throne in heaven that He now gives us the blessings of salvation. For that was the other fruit of His saving work. Not just His own glorification and exaltation, but by His saving work, He has accomplished our salvation. He has done all that was required to earn those blessings of salvation for us. And from His throne in heaven, He now freely gives them to us. And that includes the gift of faith. The text is the text itself highlights that aspect of our salvation at the beginning of verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus Christ is the author of our faith. That is, He is the founder of our faith. It originates with Him. He's the one. It begins with Him. And He's also the, the finisher He's the perfecter of our faith. The One who brings it to completion. So that what this passage is teaching us is that from first to last, from beginning to end, faith is the work of Christ. He gets it started. And He's the One who brings it to its consummation. So that faith is indeed a gift from our God. 
And that's an important reminder for us on this morning on the occasion of a public profession of faith. We do indeed rejoice as a congregation this morning, but our rejoicing is not a praising of the one who's made profession of faith so that we're not applauding the young man because on account of his own free will, he made some decision for Christ and therefore started running the race of himself. That's not our perspective this morning. But instead, our perspective is that we praise our Savior, the author and finisher of faith who has given to each of us, including to Sam, the gift of faith, working it powerfully in our hearts. Now, having received that gift, we now receive all of the blessings of salvation that are found in Jesus Christ. So that we see that Jesus Christ is the object of our faith. He's not just an example. And it's important to stay, say in light of how verse 2 fits into the overall context. The previous chapter was all these heroes of faith and it talks at the beginning of chapter 12 about this cloud of witnesses and we're pointed back to the heroes of faith and now we're brought to Jesus and we're told, run the race looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. He persevered. He endured. But the point is not that He's just another example that He just fits in with all the others that came before her. Because He's not just an example for our faith. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's the object of our faith. And therefore, it's only by looking to Him that we can run this race. Now we connect verses 1 and 2. Verse 1, let us run the race. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, combine them. And what this text is teaching us is that we must run this race by faith in Jesus Christ. Believing Him. Trusting Him. Resting in Him. Looking to Him as we run. And we are to look to Him alone. The text points us in that direction in the original language when it says looking unto Jesus for the word in the original is not just the ordinary word for looking, but it has a, a prefix in front of it that has the idea of looking away. Look away unto Jesus. That is, look away from others. Look away from those things that would distract us, that would draw our attention away from Jesus Christ. Look away from those other supposed sources of strength that we would otherwise be tempted to rely on. And above all, look away from ourselves. And instead, look to Christ. Focus on Him. And look at Him not only alone, but look at Him at all times. That too comes out in the specific wording in the original. The verb is in what's called the perfect tense, which indicates this is a call for continual, ongoing activity. Look to Him at all times. Which is to say, do not follow the example of Peter. Simon Peter, who looked away for a time. 
to keep your eyes fixed on your Savior. And look deeply into Him. And I say that too in light of the specific wording in the original. In our King James, we have a very good and really smooth translation looking unto Jesus. But in the original, that word unto has the idea, the force of looking into Christ. And that's something different. For while we do well to look unto Jesus, we do even better to look into Him. To look into what He's done for us. To consider all of the meaning, all of the significance. To turn it over again and again and again. To see all the the different facets. Look into Jesus deeply with a penetrating gaze by faith. And you do not just look unto His person, His work, but look into His very heart. Into His character, into His love, His compassion for us as a Savior. Run the race by looking unto Jesus. And as you run, there are especially two places where you are to look. Both mentioned in verse 2. To the cross and to His throne. Look to the cross of Christ. The text says that He, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. So look there. Look there when you sin, child of God. When you failed to throw off, to lay aside the weight. You held on to it and, and it entangled you. It ensnared you. It tripped you up. Look to the cross for forgiveness. And look to the cross for your motivation to run. For our motivation to run is not that by my running, I'm going to earn what's on the other side of the finish line. But my motivation is the saving work of Jesus Christ. And now out of gratitude for all that He's done for me, I now run the race that's set before me. But look not only to the cross, look also to His throne, to heaven where He is now, for He has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We're to look there for strength. For our ascended Lord gives us strength from on high by sending His Spirit from His throne to come and to live and to dwell within our hearts to give us the strength that we need to press on, that we need to persevere. So we look to His throne for strength. We look to His throne when the going gets difficult. When there are those trials, those burdens, those afflictions, and we recognize my Savior is upon His throne. He's in control of all of it. These things are not coming upon me by chance. They're not meant for my destruction, but they're in His hand. Run the race by looking unto Jesus. There are so many things that hinder us when we run either by slowing us down or causing us to stop 
running all together. But looking to Christ has the exact opposite effect. Looking to Christ is what propels us forward as these spiritual runners. And therefore, rather than looking behind us to see where we've been, rather than looking to either side to take in the scenery, we're to run forward with our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. That's how we run. That's the most important instruction there is for all those who are engaged in this race. And by itself, it's really all that we need. This instruction, run the race by looking to Christ, that is sufficient to propel us forward. But in His compassion for us, knowing how weak we are, our Savior also gives us other encouragements along the way. And there are two main encouragements along the way that are given to us that come out in this passage. First, there's the encouragement that comes from others. And that encouragement from others starts with the encouragement from those who have already run the race, who've gone before us. And here's where we bring in the beginning of verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Cloud of witnesses refers back to the heroes of faith that were set out one by one in the previous chapter. The text speaks of a cloud of witnesses because this is a a great company, a throng, a, a host of witnesses. They're great in number. And they compass us, the text says. That is, they, they surround us. They're all around us so that we can think of runners entering into a stadium and there are all of those in the stands cheering on the runners, providing them with encouragement. It's a legitimate way to look at this passage to extend the illustration. But, here's where we have to be careful. How exactly do these other witnesses, these runners who've gone before us, in what way do they provide us encouragement? They do provide us encouragement. But it's not that they are all sitting up there in heaven right now, watching us run the race and applauding us and trying to spur us on with words of encouragement. It's often the way this passage is portrayed, but that's a wrong understanding of the text. It speaks of them as witnesses, but the idea is not that they are witnessing us, that they're currently watching us run the race. They're enjoying the bliss of heaven. And even if they were watching us, and they were interested in our our persevering, what good would any encouragement from them be to us? We cannot hear them. Whatever they may say in heaven would not be brought down to us. So that when we read of this 
cloud of witnesses and them encouraging us, the idea is not that they are actively doing this in heaven. But rather, the idea of them being a witness is that they are able to testify of the trustworthiness of our Savior. That's the other idea of a witness. One who can speak to a matter from his or her own experience. Who can testify something is true. And so it is with these witnesses. They testify to us that our faith is not in vain. That they were not put to shame by putting their trust in Jesus Christ. They've reached the finish line. Their race is is completed. And they can now speak to the fact that God is faithful to bring each one of His own to that finish line by His preserving grace. And that's their message for us. A message that does not come to us from heaven itself, but a message that's found on the pages of Scripture. That's how they speak. That's how they testify. And that's evident from the previous chapter. For example, if we back up to Hebrews 11, verse 4, we read about Abel by faith offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. Abel, though he is dead, still speaks to us how? On the pages of Scripture. So that as one who himself ran by faith, he can testify through the Word of God to us your Savior is trustworthy. So that the witness, the testimony that this cloud of previous runners gives to us is by pointing us back to our Savior. Because we run this race by faith. So if we're going to be helped in any way, it's our faith that has to be built up. It's our faith that has to be strengthened. And that's what these witnesses do. We look at God's faithfulness in their life and how He brought them through. And that then is encouragement for us to look by faith to Jesus Christ so that our faith is strengthened. And having our faith strengthened, we are therefore empowered to run the race. So there's encouragement from others. But not just others who've run before us. There's also encouragement from others who are currently running with us. We do not run by ourselves. And that comes out from the passage when the writer, whoever he may be, Paul or someone else, includes himself in this. Verse 1, Therefore, seeing we, plural, also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, plural, lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us, plural, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We do not run alone, but we run as members of a body, as part of the church. And as we run side by side, we are to encourage one another. That's what the writer is doing. 
Let us run the race. This is an exhortation. He's saying, come on. He's trying to encourage them. Press on. I know it's difficult. And we're to do the same with each other as a church because the race is difficult because we do get weary. We need each other. So that when we see our fellow brother or sister lagging, we help them out. When we see our fellow brother or sister ensnared, caught in some sin, tripped, fallen down, we are there to pick them up. We run the race together. And the way we help each other primarily is by pointing each other to Christ. That's the encouragement. So that when we see the brother lagging, when we see the sister who's fallen to the ground, the message we bring is look to Christ again. Because we run this race by faith in Jesus Christ. And so if we're going to give any help to someone, it's by directing them to our Savior. That's encouragement that we have along the way. But there's another encouragement that we have as runners. The encouragement from others, whether they've run before us or are currently running with us. But there's also the encouragement of the finish line. Every race, no matter how short, no matter how long, has a finish line. There's a beginning point and an end point. And that includes this race. We finish this race when we breathe our last breath and enter into glory. And we cross the finish line at death. And the knowledge of that finish line is a source of encouragement for us spiritual runners. Because it means, first of all, that there is an end. And that's encouraging. I do not have to keep running for all of eternity. I will be able to stop at some point and to say the race is complete. But more than that, the encouragement comes also from knowing that there's a crown of glory waiting. That was the encouragement that the Apostle Paul looked to in 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8, where Paul says at the end of his life, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. He's saying, I've run the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that love His appearing. As those who run the race, we have the, the hope, the expectation of receiving that victor's wreath when we cross the finish line. Not because we earned it by our running. Christ earned it. And it's given to us as a free gift after we receive, after we finish the race that is set before us. But even that victor's wreath is not the main encouragement of the finish line. Because the main encouragement of the finish line is that I get to be with my Savior. Remember, 
We are running to Him. Not looking behind us, not looking side to side, but looking straight ahead unto Jesus Christ. So that implied in the passage is that the whole time we're running, we're drawing closer and closer and closer to Christ. He's at the finish line. He's there ready to embrace us as we collapse into His arms as weary runners. And that's the best part about the finish line. We get to be with Him. We get to live with Him. And it's that prospect that gives us encouragement, that gives us a boost as we run. And note well, it is not wrong to derive encouragement from the finish line. It's not unreformed to have that out in front of us and to be spurred on at the hope of crossing it. Because understand, Christ Himself had the finish line in view even as He endured the course set before Him. And that's the plain teaching of the text in front of us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. There was joy set out in front of before Jesus Christ. The joy of being glorified, of being raised to God's right hand. The joy of accomplishing our salvation and being in a position to share the fruits of His saving work with His people. That was joy. And it was set out in front of Jesus Christ. And it was an encouragement to Him. That's what the text is getting at when it says, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. And surely this is one of the most profound truths in all of Scripture. That on account of His human nature, Jesus Christ needed this. That this was a part of what kept Him going. When the going got difficult. He endured. Knowing there was a finish line and knowing that there was joy awaiting Him. And if He derived encouragement from that, we may too. And so, child of God, let us run the race. Knowing there is a finish line, knowing there is joy that awaits us, press on. Endure. Persevere. All the while, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, we thank Thee for the gift of faith and for the saving work of Jesus Christ who endured the cross in order to 
earn for us all the blessings of salvation. Direct our faith evermore to Him and strengthen us by faith to run the race, the course that is set out in front of us. Hear this prayer for Christ's sake. Amen.